coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And a happy weekend to you as uh, I start on today's show about an hour before it airs. It looks good in Chicago. You're like, Chicago? Uh, the Braves are playing uh, it's a day game, as is normally the case in Wrigley Field, unless there's a primetime Fox or ESPN match uh, slated. Braves are currently up eight to nothing. I don't know what the final score is because you're hearing it when the game's probably over. But Max Freed, so far six innings pitch, three hits, no runs. Huh. Welcome back, Max Freed. The Braves need Max Freed back, and it's good to see. That he is back and in top form, and you didn't come here to listen to me talk about sports, so I apologize. Uh, let's get to it. We've got a lot to get to. Uh, a lot of stories to just kind of skip like a rock over the pond, and we'll just uh, start in Gwinnett County, where Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger uh, met with the Gwinnett Chamber of Commerce. This story by Kurt Yeoman at the Gwinnett, I'm sorry, the Marietta Daily Journal Online. I think this is a, a Gwinnett spinoff, though, right? Um, in any event, Brad Raffensperger got the talk to the Gwinnett Chamber and had some uh, coarse words to say about the latest batch of Trump indictments. Of course, we're all waiting and watching as Fonnie Willis, I believe before, on or before uh, August 18th, will have her own batch of indictments to unleash. Kurt Yeomans writes... Uh, among the incidents outlined in the indictment, the document details a call between Trump and Secretary of State Raffensperger, during which the Secretary of State refuted the president's claims of fraud. Raffensperger said, we expected something, telling a bunch of reporters after that speech to the Gwinnett Chamber Wednesday. People have been talking about this for some weeks now. The article continues. Raffensperger devoted part of his speech to the chamber to defending the integrity of Georgia elections. He has continually asserted, especially since Senate Bill 202 became law in 2021, that the state's election system is secure. Quote, We want everyone to understand that in Georgia, the elections are secure. They're fair, they're accurate, and they're accessible. Well, without some of the needed changes with the Coffee County breach or break-in, whatever you want to call it, and increasing calls for some reforms and paper balloting. I'm not so sure that the Secretary of State has a firm grasp on reality there. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but as the former president continues to talk about fraud that cost him several states, Brad Raffensperger telling reporters, including Fox 5's Eric Perry, that they tracked every allegation down and found nothing of substance. Been consistent since day one that there weren't thousands of dead people. We had eventually found four, and there weren't 66,000 underage voters. There were zero. Uh, there were zero non-registered voters. So every allegation that was made, we ran down the trap line, made sure that we had the facts, and then we calmly, uh, respectfully, gave those to the people. We also asked if the secretary felt a sense of vindication from the indictments. Here's what he had to say to that. I feel more sorrow for our country that we're going through this because in effect what we're doing is we're losing time and wasting time. We have big issues that we need to be dealing with and we should be really, you know, building a unified, you know, team 
Team America. We all work together. May not agree on all the issues, but we agree on the big things, and we have you know big issues that we need to work together on. And we got to accomplish so much more if we're working together instead of you know fighting and dividing each other. Back to that perfect phone call. One of many perfect phone calls Donald Trump made while in office. Uh, back to the Gwinnett. Da- I'm sorry, the Marietta Daily Journal article. Uh, the indictment says Raffensperger, during his call with Trump, told him that a video of ballot counting at State Farm Arena had been, quote, sliced and diced to present a false narrative of fraud and refuted the former president's claim that 5,000 dead people were listed as having voted in Georgia. They're uh, changing the equipment on the uh, on the Dominion machines. And, you know, then that's not legal. We did a hand retally, a 100% retally of all the ballots and compared that to what the machine said and, and it came up with virtually the same result. They did it in slow motion replay magnified, right? She stuffed the ballot boxes. They were stuffed like nobody's ever seen them stuffed before. We com- we did an audit of that and we proved conclusively that they were not scanned three times. But nobody can make a case for that, Brett. Nobody. I mean, look, that's you'd have to be a child to think anything other than that, just a child. The phone call is notorious, however, because of an excerpt of a recording of the conversation in which Trump can be heard telling Raffensperger to find 11,780 votes to flip Georgia from President Joe Biden's column to Trump's column. I have to find 12,000 votes, and I have them times a lot, and therefore I won the state. I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. Uh, you know, we have that in spades already. In the call, of course, Donald Trump, being the more churlish one of the two, decided to take personal swipes at Brad Raffensperger while he's trying to convince Brad Raffensperger to go find him 12,000 more votes. So comical. Listen to this. Whether you know it or not, they're laughing at you. And you've taken a state that's a Republican state, and you've made it almost impossible for a Republican to win because of cheating. However, oddly enough, after that, in the year 2022, Republicans at the state level did pretty well without Trump on the ballot. So what of that? Of course, 2020 Donald Trump didn't know that in 2022, Brian Kemp would win without him on the ticket or helping him either. But Back then, he invoked Stacey Abrams as the likely victor without Donald Trump helping Brian Kemp. Take a listen to that. What she's done to this party is unbelievable, I tell you. And I only ran against her once, and that was with a guy named Brian Kemp, and I beat her. And if I didn't run, Brian wouldn't have had even a shot, either in the general or in the primary. He was dead, dead as a doornail. Again, a reminder, though, Donald Trump wasn't on the ballot when Brian Kemp ran for his first term in the year 2018. He didn't assume office until January of 2019. But again, Donald Trump has not had a grip on reality for quite some time. But this is the perplexing thing to me. It's it's crazy that in Georgia, which is a pretty southern state still, I mean, I know we've kind of gone a little purplish, but still, it's a southern state. It's a rock rib part of that red wall, that that red wall that the South has built since the early 1980s. The Brian Kemp's, the Brad Raffensburgers are showing the GOP how you handle him. You dismiss his nuttiness. You run away from him. You call him what he is, a fraud, a huckster. I mean, they're not using those terms, but they decided not to use his coattails to run for their offices, and lo and behold, they won. So as we've noted all this week, Donald Trump currently picking up about 50 to 54% of likely GOP primary voters, 
But that's only because the GOP is letting him run for the nomination in the first place. They don't have to. There's nothing that says they have to accept him running. Yet, because since January 7th, 2021 and going forward, a lot of those who said they were out, they were tapping out on Trump, jumped right back in and started licking those boots again because there aren't enough folks other than, I don't know, Liz Cheney, Chris Christie, Asa Hutchinson. I can think of three Republicans that I can actually name. I'm sorry, Will Hurd. Let's give him his credit as well. He's running, I guess, for the nomination until maybe he decides to run that third party ticket. I mean, please, by all means, go for it. Anyway, because there are so few Republicans with spines calling Trump out for what he is, for the fraud that he is and has been, and for the involvement that allegedly, according to these latest you know, batch of indictments that he and co-conspirators are involved in, fomenting that insurrection to begin with, because there are only that I can think of four Republicans who have called him for what he is, he gets to run for the nomination again, and he gets to be likely a lag on the party's prospects. I'm holding my fingers crossed right here, you know. <laughs> Just imagine both both hands, fingers are crossed, that he continues to be a lag on the party's ticket coming to 2024. And listen, here's the good news, Democrats. If Trump is the nominee... And really, I think that's best case scenario for us. I, I know you're, but, but Biden's only polling 43, 43 with him. Whatever. I, I mean, I, I think 43 is, is Trump's ceiling. I can't see people jumping on that ship. So if that's his ceiling, then imagine, by the way, whoever is going to be his running mate. I mean, who's going to be his running mate? You can't imagine anybody that's running for the nomination right now would be, right? So who would be his running mate? There are only so many options, and none of them are going to bring people to the party. Like, he has painted himself into this corner. He needs a never-Trumper to say, fine, yeah, I'll run with you. But the last guy that ran with him almost got killed by his own base. Good luck convincing somebody to join that ticket that's not already cuckoo. That doesn't bode well for the Trump ticket or the GOP ticket down ballot in 2024. And remember, Senate control is hanging in the balance. And oh, by the way, there's a little bit of map redrawing happening in a few states to correct some mistakes and some Jerry outright racist gerrymandering, <clears throat> Alabama, <clears throat> Louisiana, <clears throat> probably Georgia, that House control is in the balance too. And I mean, they hold that by a razor thin George Santos margin as well. And by the way, looking at some of the quantitative and qualitative forecasters out there, the Senate is still at a razor thin could go either way. And I see some opportunities like Texas. Texas has a couple of good candidates ready to take on Ted Cruz, by the way. So according to a consensus forecast here from 2024 Senate elections, uh, they look like a net pickup of one for the Republican Party, maybe. I mean, that that just makes it a split, 50-50. Uh, I see uh, 50 for the folks at Crystal Ball 2024 Senate. Um, let's see. Cook Political Report. Uh, looks like 50 for the GOP. I mean, it's, uh, it's so razor thin. And everybody's starting to show that Texas going from safe to likely Republican. That means it's there for the taking. Uh, let's see. Split ticket 2024 has the Senate going to the GOP with 51 votes. Okay. But I mean, that's still, you know, this is all still very much up in the air. There were so many folks who were like, oh, the Senate's definitely going to the Republicans in 22. Didn't happen. And they, 
are predicting the same thing for 2024. And you have to be uh, U.S. News 2024. They still show the GOP getting no more than 50. The Senate is up for grabs, even though the GOP right now is just shy because of the tiebreaker vote of the vice president. But keep Trump on that ticket and let him attach another deplorable name to that ticket. I mean, do we not think it's going to be the failed Arizona gubernatorial candidate, Carrie Lake? I I gotta think she's got to be somewhat in the lead in that race to the bottom, right? She's not going to bring anything to the table. But without some suddenly spine sprouting on the right, we're going to have not just an indicted, but a likely convicted GOP nominee in 2020. Whew. Go figure. I mean, of course, he'll appeal so that he can continue running for president and hopefully win and then pardon himself. America. More Ron Show after this on America One Radio or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show as we head into the weekend, weekend series. And I'm supposed to have gone. Oh, I'm supposed to have gone to Chicago. I was going to do this like last minute, spur of the moment thing and go watch the Braves and the Cubs at Wrigley Field. Wrigley is like one of those bucket list things for this baseball fan. And I reached out to my buddy George, and I was like, I'm going to come visit you and your wife. I've never met your wife. And uh, we talked about this like three or four weeks ago, the spur of the moment thing I was going to do because the flights were super cheap, and I didn't do it. And so here I am. No, I mean, no regrets. And by the way, the Braves won 8 to nothing with Max Free going six strong. Uh, let's see, he gave up. Just three hits. The team only gave up four altogether. No walks, eight strikeouts. It looks like he's back in good form. That's good. Oh, I'm so excited about that. The Braves with the best record in Major League Baseball, and they haven't had Max Freed basically since, what, late April, early May? Dude, it's on now. I, and I know, here I am again, talking sports, and you didn't come here to talk sports with me, so that's fine. By the way, let me take a moment to say hello to some of the new audience that we picked up uh, as the result of Georgia Public Broadcasting dropping Bill Nygut's Political Rewind, that uh, daily show uh, airing twice daily on Georgia Public Broadcasting until uh, the plug was pulled on it about a month or so ago. Uh, Cindy Simpson uh, keeps tabs on that Facebook group and uh, welcomed me in there. And I, we had her on the show. I want to appreciate her for... Uh, for uh, introducing this show to some new members, and and I know we're not Political Rewind, and I apologize for that. Don't get me wrong, I love having guests on. In fact, I really can't say enough about uh, yesterday's guest, uh, Coker University sociology professor and my good friend Mal Hyman for giving me a full 45 minutes yesterday. That was just fantastic. If you missed that, you can go back and listen to that at ronshowatl.com or actually wherever you podcast. Uh, I bring up uh, the Political Rewinders uh, on Facebook because the folks at Georgia Public Broadcasting now have a new chief at GPB. Uh, Davis Giangiolo reporting for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Uh, GPB and uh, their commission voted unanimously to appoint Burt Wesley Huffman as the CEO for GPB. Uh, the move comes after the previous chief, Taya Ryan, resigned in May after leading the broadcasting system for more than a dozen years. Huffman previously served as GPB's president, where he directed business operations and led marketing operations, communications, sponsorships, and fundraising activities. He's got a task ahead of him for that now. Uh, he joined the broadcasting system in 2014 and has been interim CEO at GPB since Ryan's retirement. The story continues. Following the budget cuts and Ryan's retirement, the agency announced in June it was canceling the Political Rewind 
And ousting the show's host, Bill Nygut, the show became a staple for discussions about state and national politics and policies since it began in 2013, particularly as Georgia became a battleground state. At the time, GPB said it was part of a, quote, rededication to their core mission and did not say it was because of any funding changes. By the way, no word yet on what Bill Nygut's future plans are, but he did very much leave the door open for him coming up somewhere else. And if he happens to be listening... Dude, you'd be welcome here on America One Radio. Absolutely. Come on board. As to how we can afford you, eh, that's another matter for another day. I I will tell you that uh, the folks at America One Radio from day one have given me the opportunity, if I wanted to, to sell advertising time on my show. I mean, I have the time allotted to me if I chose to use it. And I've chosen not to so far. I mean, my... I I have, uh, what is it, Uh, 21 minutes in the first hour, half hour. So that means uh, there are some network times and there's like two minutes there for me. There's another two minutes available for me in the back. And I've yet to even try and sell that. Although if anyone would like to buy some advertising time on the Ron Show, by the way, feel free. Hit me up. 404-919-2725. I am a former radio guy who knows all about assisting businesses uh, with their marketing. So glad to help uh, if you'd like to do that. But don't think I'm out here just hanging my shingle out to uh, to, to make some money. This show is, I, I, I want to say self-funded, but it's because I myself am funding it. <laughs> but the folks at America One Radio, Bill, uh, Bill, if you're listening, if you want to, you know, sell some advertising, if you've got some some folks who are ready to back you, they'll, they'll give you the advertising time. That's That's how you can... Make it happen on America One Radio if you decide to do that. Also, because I podcast the show, eh, I don't really know how the podcasters feel, the, the, the podcasting platforms, how they feel about the, I don't, I guess they don't care, but I just really haven't explored it. And honestly, most days I don't find myself not having enough stuff to talk about that I can say, oh, well, let me just pull two minutes from the first half hour and two minutes from the second half hour for advertising. Advertisers, if you're listening and you'd like to come on the Ron Show, however, I can somehow figure it out. Trust me, <laughs> we'll make it work if you need us to. Call me. Uh, Ron at ronshowatl.com if you'd like to email me as well. Uh, moving on to something else, since I only have about a couple of minutes left before we go to a news break on America One. We see a couple of Georgia counties reducing or changing their voting locations. Uh-oh. Uh, Lincoln County, just north of Augusta and my home county of Columbia, uh, decided to reduce its number of polling sites, um, citing some locations, poor facilities. Floyd County, where the fairly largish city of Rome is, Floyd County approved a plan earlier this week to reduce the number of polling places from 25 precincts to just 19. Troop uh, last week, Troop County in um, West Central, it's like the third congressional district. Uh, by the way, uh, Floyd County, Marjorie Taylor Greene's home district, um, Troop County uh, last week passed a measure to move four precinct locations currently housed in schools. Now, the folks in Floyd say that their changes are about efficiency and I think had something to do with trying to adhere to city limits lines or something along those lines. Anyway, the, the folks in Troop County are taking voting locations out of schools because the school system had some concerns about elections going on while kids are in school. And listen, with all the school shootings of late, yeah, I mean, seriously, you have to think about this now. You have to think about treating schools more like prisons on lockdown, and we don't vote in prisons, right? And we don't let people vote in prisons either. So uh, a lot of those are moving to churches. There's one, in fact, uh, that is moving one polling place from 
uh, an eight-mile distance from its location in the school administration building to a church. Uh, the AJC reporting that some uh, county voters for Precinct in Hoganville are also being sent to that church over 10 miles away. That is voter suppression. Not only the longer distances and the changes altogether, but the information getting out to the voters in time. And a one-time mailer is not enough information. Think about some of your most notable advertisers. You don't know about their brand because you saw the commercial or heard the commercial on the radio or one time. It's about redundancy, saturation of the message. For my part in concern, I'm going to be reaching out to both counties' Democratic parties to see what we can do to help them make sure that their voters know about these changes. All right. More on The Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Want to be on the show? Have a cause or campaign you'd like to speak up for? Email Ron at ronshowatl.com or call 404-919-2725. The Ron Show on America One Radio. As we ended the last segment talking about some voter suppression tactics, I mean, that's how I see them. When you move a polling precinct 8 to 10 miles, especially in a more rural county, we're talking about Troop County in particular, that, to me, it's a, it's, it's a voter disenfranchisement. It's voter suppression. Uh, and yeah, they say, oh, we're going to send out a mailer. One mailer is not going to get the word out. It's, that's, that's, that's just that. Not everybody checks uh, stuff sent to them in the mail. That's the reality in 2023. You got to hammer the message home. Uh, again, I come from the advertising world, uh, radio broadcasting, and I know that you can't just buy one radio commercial and expect to saturate the market with your message. Businesses that try that get nothing from it. And the same would be the case with sending out a postcard that says, hey, by the way, we've changed your polling precinct. It's going to be here now. A good number of those voters are going to toss that mail because it just looks like a postcard, you know, with some sort of scam on it. Um. Here's another one here. According to the AJC, Mark Neese reporting that Georgia's use it or lose it voter registration cancellations uh, targeting 191,000 voters uh, has gone on what they call hiatus. Uh, Almost no one is losing their ability to vote this year solely because they declined to participate in Georgia elections for several years. A temporary reprieve caused by court cases and changes to state law. Instead, the 191,000 voter registration scheduled for cancellation this month belong to people who very likely moved away. They either filed out a national change of address form or notification letters mailed to them were undeliverable by the U.S. Postal Service, according to data published by the Secretary of State's office. Without use it or lose it, Mark Nisi reports, uh, infrequent voters will have two more years before their registrations are removed, creating a backlog that could lead to a surge in cancellations in 2025. Article continues, in the meantime, Georgia's voter rules will continue to include some registrations of people who no longer live in the state and are therefore ineligible to vote. All Georgia voters are required to show ID before casting a ballot, and it's illegal to vote twice or outside the state where they live. Unless you're married to Herschel Walker. This year's round of voter registration cancellations, according to the article called Voter Purges by their critics, is an increase from 101,000 removals two years ago, but less than the record-breaking 
534,000 cancellations in 2017, a year before Brian Kemp eked out his gubernatorial victory against Stacey Abrams, I might add, when outdated registrations had built up for several years. Let's see. Further down, the article, voting rights advocates say they're concerned about the return of use-it-or-lose-it cancellations when Georgia next conducts mass registration cancellations in 2025. There are currently about 390,000 inactive registered voters who haven't had contact with election officials within the past five years, according to state registration data. Uh, Cindy Battles, I like Cindy, I follow her on Twitter, of the Georgia Coalition for the People's Agenda, a civil rights organization, says, if a voter chooses not to vote in an election, that should not mean they don't get to vote in a future election. The biggest thing for folks to remember is that the best way to ensure you're not purged in a use-it-or-lose-it cleanup is to show up to vote. She's not wrong, and I would say those of us on the left need to remind ourselves of that, not just in general elections where a presidential campaign's on the ballot, but in the midterms as well. In the past, that is what has cost us uh, houses, uh, chambers uh, at the federal and at several states' levels, and some gubernatorial offices. I mean, Georgia's gubernatorial elections are in off-cycles, off-presidential cycles anyway, and I think that sort of turnout lag sometimes hurts us, uh, not just in Georgia, but again in other states. Kelly Lefter in this article uh, is uh, cited here, a former Republican U.S. senator who now runs the voting group Greater Georgia, said more should be done to ensure ineligible voters are removed. Well, of course, that's going to be the right-wing tactic. Uh, there's no justification for keeping voters on our rolls when they are deceased, moved, or when they have not voted for almost a decade. Georgia's election officials have a legal obligation to conduct routine maintenance, she says, for all of the above, to do anything Less is to invite fraud in our state. I, I like that uh, Mark Neese cites this in the article, by the way. Voter fraud is rare in Georgia, and state elections investigations have discredited allegations of ballot stuffing, dead voters, underage voters, and counterfeit ballots. Do I air the Raffensperger Trump call again here or no? No? Come on. No? Okay, fine. Okay, but if maybe you have moved since the last election cycle or something has happened with your address, maybe your divorce, name change, any of these little things that might trigger a hiccup when you go to vote, you can check your registration status online through the My Voter page that the state of Georgia runs. The address is mvp.sos.ga.gov. I really wish they would come up with a catchier, easier to remember, checkmystatus.g, you know, something. Anything. <laughs> MVP.SOS.GA.gov. Can we come up with a MVP.SOS.GA.gov? You know, something catchy. Like I can remember the uh, uh, jingles for, I'm not even going to uh, do these radio commercials because there are other uh, real estate agencies. And I, know, I remember the ESOG one. ESOG now. That's so, that just sticks with my MVP.SOS.GA.gov 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 Does any of that help you? You can say it now, though, can't you? mvp.sos.ga.gov mvp.sos.ga.gov Can you tell I've had some caffeine in the last few minutes? Sorry about that. By the way, while I'm uh, skimming through the Atlanta Journal-Constitution today, how about this headline? A new blood test can predict serious pregnancy complications Within 30 minutes, but if it's after six weeks, 
Okay, that's not in the headline. Uh, the sub-headline, uh, Emory Leader played a key role in the research of this new preeclampsia test. Mm, this was uh, written by AJC staffers and in conjunction with the New York Times, the article Pregnant Women finally have a test to predict preeclampsia, one of the top six causes of maternal death in Georgia after the FDA recently approved the first of its kind test. Uh, preeclampsia is a potentially life-threatening form of high blood pressure that can develop suddenly during pregnancy or following childbirth and quickly turn deadly. It has been known uh, about for 100 years, but seen as wildly unpredictable. The article continues, this new test may offer an early warning identifying which of the many pregnant women who have suggestive symptoms will go on to develop the life-threatening disease within the next two weeks. Uh, Dr. Ravi Tadhani, an author of the study, is now an executive VP for health affairs at Emory University. Starting this new role last October, he oversees all components of Emory's academic medical center, including the School of Medicine, School of Nursing, School of Public Health, and Emory Health Care. Uh, the article continues, preeclampsia develops precipitously, and without the blood test, the warning signs may be vague. Usually begins after 20 weeks of pres- uh, pregnancy. Mm, sorry, ladies. In women whose blood pressure had previously been in the standard range. But again, you live in Georgia, and uh, we have this abortion law, so what are you going to do? And oh, by the way, back to the AJC article, this important note, uh, the condition disproportionately affects black women in the United States and was linked to the recent death of Tori Bowie, a track star who won gold at the 2016 Olympics. Two black teammates of Bowie, Allison Felix and Tiana Bartoletta, also developed preeclampsia during their pregnancy. Uh, the new blood test made by Thermo Fisher Scientific has been available in Europe for several years. It is intended for pregnant women who are hospitalized for a blood pressure disorder in the 23rd to 35th weeks of gestation. Uh, okay, here we are. Treatment. Treatment for preeclampsia generally depends on how severe the preeclampsia is and how far along a woman is in her pregnancy. Some medications can help treat preeclampsia, including drugs to lower blood pressure and prevent seizures. Sometimes it is safer to deliver the baby early then to risk prolonging the pregnancy, but women who have severe preeclampsia need to be hospitalized and monitored to avoid potential complications. Uh, tests can tell with up to 96% accuracy who will not develop preeclampsia within the next two weeks and so can safely be discharged from the hospital. Two-thirds of the women who get a positive result, on the other hand, will progress to severe preeclampsia in that time, and babies may need to be delivered earlier. Okay, ladies, so... May the odds be ever in your favor. Back after this on America One Radio, wherever you podcast. Okay, final segment for The Ron Show for the week. Heading into the weekend, and... Oh, look at this, I like this. And I know, I know I've let off with sports like two of the first three segments of the show, but no, I like this. USA Today says that Atlanta has become a hotbed of public art with murals covering surfaces throughout the city. Uh, That's what the USA Today wrote about the 10 best cities you must visit to see incredible street art. All right. So Atlanta made a top 10 list that we can be proud of. All right. I'm liking that. How about the the Joseph Martinez mural? That was the one mentioned. Uh, uh, 30-foot mural of hip-hop legend Outkast and Little Five Points. The John Lewis tribute at the corner of Jesse Hill Drive and Auburn Avenue. I love that. Uh, the Baby Yodas under the Freedom Parkway Bridge. Wait a minute. I need to go check that out. 
There are more than 700 murals throughout the metro area, according to this article uh, in the USA Today. The Atlanta Street Art Map, a website that documents much of the city's street art. I'm going to give you that link in today's show notes at ronchoetl.com. Nancy Clanton at the AJC passing along that cool bit of good news. And let's see. According to USA Today, you'll find permanent installations and temporary projects curated by Living Walls and the Outer Space Project. For a good look, take a bike ride along the Atlanta Beltline Eastside Trail. Yes. Stroll uh, through Old Fourth Ward. Yes. And spend some time in Little Five Points. I live in Old Fourth Ward. I do the Beltline Eastside all the time. And Little Five Points is just a hotbed of cool, quirky art. Love it. Uh, let's see. The article continues in the neighborhood surrounding Ralph David Abernathy Boulevard. The murals, quote, are mostly intended to represent the local residents to present role models for youth, to inspire those in need, and to highlight pressing social issues. Loving that. Just this Friday, by the way, the article points out, Arts ATL announced three new murals along the south side trail of the Atlanta Beltline, which is a new stretch that folks are very excited about. Uh, here's a quote. The featured murals in Volume 5 are Terry's Heart by Aisha Pennerman, Field Trip by Seven, and Passerine by Jonasy. All three murals are painted on varying sides of the Argus USA wall, transforming the otherwise gray cement plant at 885 Glenwood Avenue into a colorful haven of art. By the way, while I'm thinking about this, can we just talk about how those sound barrier walls along the interstates and Georgia 400, they're just awful looking. We have these, I mean, they're just jagged, you know, just jagged boxes that just kind of stagger uh, up and down the, 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 the hillside along the interstates and along uh, the, the state highways like Georgia 400. They're just terrible, y'all. We've got to do something about that. It's just, uh, just dreadful, absolutely awful. Can we can we really get a petition started to make those look better? And, and I don't know some of the older ones. Can can we pressure wash? Is there a way to pressure wash these things so that they don't look so dingy and disgusting? It just kills me how we pour so much money into highway expansion and building these sound barrier walls because we're invading neighborhoods and putting up, uh, you know, inexpensive, I say inexpensive, it's expensive to live in Metro Atlanta, lesser expensive <laughs> apartment homes along interstates. And so we put up these sound barriers, these awful looking sound barriers, which don't look good on either side of the highway, by the way. I mean, if you're going to mural things, that's great. But those jagged, like block, can we not get those to kind of, and I know that that takes a little more time and maybe a little bit more budget, but uh, I, I would argue more Marta would be fantastic too, by the way, just saying, but I digress. I could go off on a tangent about that. I just, I, I have this thing about like seeing these, these cutout sound barrier walls that, that are, especially the metal ones. I mean, the block ones are okay, but again, still they're, they, they're, they're not uh, contoured to, uh, at the top to kind of meander with the hillside. They just, uh, I just hate those things. Absolutely drab looking. Okay, so we're in the home stretch here. Just about uh, eight and a half minutes left to go on uh, the show today and this week. Another headline from CNN. The Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin issued a new memo on how to reshuffle Pentagon leadership roles as Tommy Tuberville, the senator, former football coach of Auburn University, uh, and senator from Alabama, is continuing his uh, blockade of uh, filling positions at the top within our U.S. military. The same Republican Party that talks about strength and defense. And uh, the story goes, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin issued guidance to the military workforce for the first time 
about how Pentagon leadership roles will likely need to be reshuffled as a result of Republican Senator Tommy Coach Tuberville's hold on military confirmations. In a memo dated August 2nd, obtained by CNN, Austin wrote that the, quote, unprecedented across-the-board hold is having a cascading effect, increasingly hindering the normal operations of this department and undermining both our military readiness and our national security. The same sort of rhetoric that we were getting from the right every time there's a Democrat in office. Oh, they're gutting the military. Oh, they're hindering military readiness, et cetera, and so on. As a result, Austin recommended a series of steps to try to mitigate the impact of the blockade that includes, quote, in extraordinary cases, assigning lower level officers in a grade of zero to eight or below to lead organizations in an acting capacity, Austin wrote. Commission officers are ranked from zero to one, uh, zero to 10, with 10 being the four-star general or admiral level. The article goes on to say that incumbent heads of organizations, moreover, quote, may be asked to remain in place until their successor has been nominated, confirmed, and appointed. And officers currently in a deputy or vice position may assume the head role in an acting or temporary capacity, uh, Lloyd Austin added in the memo. He said, I understand that these steps will not end or offset the risk to our readiness or our global leadership position, nor will they resolve the uncertainty and stress inflicted upon our general and flag officers and their families or alleviate the worries rippling further down our ranks. All this stems from Tommy Tuberville pitching a hissy. Um, because, and by the way, this affects 301 senior officers, according to the Pentagon, including two members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, and as of Friday, the Chief of Staff of the Army. Anyway, anyway uh, getting back to why uh, Tommy is having his uh, holding his breath temper tantrum, which he turned blue, uh, and not red to blue. Uh, anyway, Tommy's uh, upset because the Pentagon has tried to have measures for women in the military to receive the reproductive care they need and or seek or want as a result of an unplanned pregnancy. Yeah, that's right. Because of all the new abortion restrictions that swept in after the Dodd decision, Women who may be serving in states that they didn't ask to be served in or choose to serve in may need to go to a state that requires some travel, some precipitous travel. When you look at the map, say you are in a military base in central or middle Texas, where are you going to go? It ain't Louisiana. It ain't Arkansas. It ain't Mississippi. It ain't Alabama. It ain't Georgia. Where are you going to go? I mean, Illinois, I'm thinking, might be the close. That That's how dire this gets when you are serving in ruby red states with super restrictive abortion policies. To reiterate, Tommy Tuberville is holding up, as the Pentagon states now, 301 senior officers for promotion, including two joint member, two members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, all over the Pentagon looking after women who may find themselves pregnant, but serving in a state with heightened abortion restrictions. Just disgusting. All right, listen, let's leave on a good note. This, this, if this doesn't put a smile on your face, I, I, I don't know what else will. Uh, <laughs> so former President Donald Trump, of course, had to appear in court in Washington, D.C. on Thursday and can't possibly like the way 
folks didn't really accommodate his travel into the city or back. Man, his day filled with reminders that he ain't POTUS anymore. So here are some of the things that he had to deal with. Uh, The judge had the audacity not to suck up to him, never referring to Donald as President Trump, simply Mr. Trump. Mm. Then there was the uh, motorcade, Trump's campaign team, miffed by a lack of traffic support from local police after he arrived in Washington, forcing the motorcade to weave through rush hour traffic. Other motorists attempted to change lanes between the motorcade, showing less deference than typical for an average funeral procession. Uh, The welcome from onlookers at the courthouse, occasionally hostile with several middle fingers from bikers and spectators along the highway from the airport. Even a Biden flag on a corner near the courthouse. Uh, His campaign team miffed. Uh, Let's see. Oh, here was another one. Um, Here's a clear sign, according to Kelly O'Donnell uh, on Twitter. A clear sign he's not president anymore. Despite all the motorcades and perks, his plane has to wait to taxi. Only Air Force One gets immediate clearance. Trump Force One has to wait. Oh, and here is the uh, chef's kiss of it all. <clears throat> From uh, Gary Grumbach on uh, Twitter. As former President Trump returned to Bedminster, New Jersey, after pleading not guilty to charges related to interference in the 2020 election, Trump's motorcade encountered interference of its own in the form of several goats. Okay, I know what you're thinking. Those goats were clearly Antifa. Actually, those could well have been Donald's own goats. Those goats might be the personal herd that gives Trump a multi-million dollar property tax dodge, too. They could be there to guard his ex-wife's final resting spot. Thursday just was not a good day for Trump. But as I've mentioned this week, I can't remember the last time Donald Trump had a good day. Can you? I mean, it's since before Election Day 2020. What a losing streak he's on, am I right? Dude, the Secret Service didn't even lift a finger to get the goats out of the... Not a... The Secret Service, who doesn't, I guess, really answer to him anymore, didn't do a... He had to sit there stewing in his limousine. By the way, it's the best. It's the greatest. Had to sit there stewing in his limousine while goats kept him from getting back to Bedminster. Yes, you know I've got video of that uh, from from the, uh, the the Twitter account I just talked about earlier. You know I've got that in today's show notes because, hell yeah. You know, though, I, I just had a thought. Do you think, nah, it wouldn't have happened, right? No. Okay, let me ask. Do you think maybe Goat was on the menu at the country club for dinner that night? He wouldn't do that, would he? I don't know. We see the way that man eats, so anything goes, right? But do you serve french fries with goat? And do they dare give him ketchup? I mean, we know he has this proclivity for throwing ketchup on the wall. All right, look at me, trying my hand at stand-up comedy and failing miserably. That's going to do it for the Ron Show, actually. Uh, And I'm going to wrap up here in about 45 seconds. I want to thank you for listening. And if you missed any of this week's show, by the way, yesterday's show, chef's kiss again. Uh, my good friend, sociology professor at Coca University, Mal Hyman, joined me to talk about uh, the David Brooks article in yesterday's New York Times, or Wednesday's New York Times, that talked about maybe we're the bad guys, not the MAGA voter who just sticks by Donald Trump, no matter how many indictments or bad things. He literally could shoot a man in broad daylight and get away with it, and he knew that. He said so in the uh, 2016 election cycle. 
Uh, anyway, do listen to that. We've got that for you at ronshowatl.com. Show notes as well for the day and more. I will see you Monday, 5 to 6 p.m. on America One Radio, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast after. Have a great weekend.